So we're looking at the subject of the wisdom of God. And what I find in the Bible is that the Bible and the wisdom we read about in the Bible, the wisdom that we see in the life of Christ, is far beyond that of anything of humanity and man. If, if there was an, another way, if someone could come up with anything like Christ or like the things that are written in the Bible or comparative to it or try to uh, rewrite it or reshape it or change anything in it, I think people would have tried. Now, when I hear someone say, oh, Jesus is a legendary figure or he, the accounts in the Bible are not true, then why is it that nobody else has come along and done the same thing or done something better or anything like that? But we do see, historically, Christ exists and we have eyewitnesses of who He is in the Scriptures. And we see great wisdom in who He is. I've been interested this week, I was thinking about the word uh, sophomore. So no offense to sophomores. And, and I, I don't know if Emily's about to be a sophomore. Uh, but... Um, but do you know what sophomore means? Sophomore is made of two Greek words, a sophist, which means wise, and more means fool, as in moron. And that's what it means. And it used to be a description for middle classmen. Uh, and I guess somebody came up with it, it's like, you were a freshman, now you're a sophomore, and they wanted to keep them humble or something. Uh, juniors, I found out, I was doing some research on this, Juniors in college used to also be called sophomores. It wasn't until you were a senior classman that you were actually recognized as, you know, attaining something. But um, I think about that because I read these passages in Scripture where there's a lot of wise foolishness, you know, wise fools of people in the world. And I see it in Colossians and I read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it's just as the Scriptures say, you've got to become a fool to be wise. You've got to humble yourself before God and listen to Him. You can't think wise in your, your, of yourself wise in your own eyes. And so we come to the Scriptures in that way, and it's a very humbling thing. Uh, Paul wrote to a new church in, uh, to, the, to the Colossians. This is a new church at Colossae, and he's writing to encourage them, to knit them in love, to reach the wealth of the knowledge of Christ. Okay, And he wants to emphasize this. And when you go to Colossians 1, he gives a wonderful description of who Christ is, starting in verse 15 and following, who he is, what he has accomplished. You see the deity, you see the fullness of God dwelling within him, and you see that God, that in Christ, has power over all rulers and authority. And we would say, yes, we see that in God. But such is, is true of Jesus. He has the power, the wisdom of all things, over all things in the world. So let's, let's draw some more on this from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm again reading Colossians 2, 1 through 10. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those who are at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So again, you can take implication from that. They haven't seen him face to face. New church, he's wanting to help them and encourage them. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches, all the wealth of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Notice that. The wealth of the assurance of God, of, of understanding and knowledge of God, is Christ. And I can't overstate that. Now, just thinking about that, at first it's kind of an abstract idea until we make, start to make application of it. 
And I think the application is, is very simple. When Christ is our wisdom, He changes the way that we view everything, reality, the world around us. That's wisdom. And whatever context you're in, you know, whether you're in school, you're on the work, on, in the job, at home, in the family, whatever you're watching on TV, the music you're listening to, the activities you're engaged in, wisdom comes through the perspective of Christ. And so you think about what would Christ think about this and about what I'm doing here? Am I giving glory to Him? Am I, am I setting an example? So these things, those are some things that come to mind that Paul makes latter application on. So let's keep reading verse 3 and following. It says, in, in whom, that's in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm going to have to pause again there. So in Christ is all the wisdom and knowledge. How can that be? And what about the subject of science? What is science? Science is the knowledge now applied to the natural world. Well, science is not excluded. There's nothing that excluded from the wisdom and knowledge of God. Everything that is to be known about the natural world, we would best known from the Creator. And we're just discovering little by little. Science just means the knowledge that we got now. And we already know that it's going to change. So nature's God, our Creator, has all wisdom in Christ. Why? Because everything has been created through Him. He is the Word. And if you back up in Colossians, you see the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Starting in Colossians 1, verses 15 and, and following. And I'll, I'll leave that for your further study. All right, let's get back to Colossians 2 and back to verse 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am also with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. All right, I want you to be firm in Christ. I want you to have this good order. And he says, I don't want anybody to deceive you with plausible arguments. Let's stop again. There's plenty of plausible arguments in the world. I can make use of evolution as an example of that. And someone could say, well, isn't evolution true to a certain extent? Don't animals um, form new species? Don't they adapt? Isn't there such thing as genetic drift? Yeah, I, I concur with all that. In fact, if we even were to demonstrate that one kind of animal could change into another over time, that has nothing to do with dismissing the Creator. And I wouldn't even say it would have nothing to do with uh, even dismissing what we read in the Bible. What I see in the Bible, though, is that God in the very beginning created everything according to its kind. I definitely see that. Now, and I believe that evolution is false. But you get these plausible arguments. They're plausible. They seem like they're real. And then you get someone who is a wise fool. And they start thinking and looking at the world and saying, well, this could be true. I like what it says. I like what it implies. I like the way that it allows me to live. I can live the way that I want to. I don't have to live the way that the Bible tells me how my parents raised me to. I can start making changes in that. And I can live the way that I choose to live. And so there's this wise foolishness that goes on because people buy into plausible, these plausible arguments of looking at things. Now, you, can't, you don't have to look very far to see what's going on on the media and so forth. And some of the things that people are saying that just sound foolish. Tonight I was driving in to the building and I mentioned to Rachel, I said I looked up at the sign and I'd seen this sign more than once. You might be know what I'm talking about, the signs that changed. There's one in front of the movie theater and it said up there, thoughts and prayers and it had a red line through it. And then under it said policy and change and then it said vote for this. And I thought, what? So I know what they're saying, 
I think I know what they're saying. They're saying we're tired of the cliches. But you're also saying we're tired of thoughts and prayers. I told Rachel, I said a better way to put it is say more than thoughts and prayers. Uh, we're bringing you know, policy and change. You know, I might be able to listen to that. But the message there just struck me very wrong. And so you got all these things going on, people saying these things, these plausible arguments that are going on. Um, and then what's the problem with these plausible arguments? Well, keep reading with me. Go back to verse, now go down to chapter 2 and verse 6. Here's the problem. Paul says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. All right? You're firm in your faith. Stay rooted. Stay in Him. Keep walking in Him. You're established. And do this with thanksgiving and gratitude. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That's the problem with plausible arguments. People are taken captive by it. They, they start to think, this is something I could go along with. This is something I can agree with. And it's empty. And the philosophy is false. And it's according, he says, to human tradition. It's been passed down the line. As Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. And he says, according to the elementary principles of the world and not according to Christ. Well, that makes all the difference. If I'm going to reason about the world according to the principles of the world, and I'm going to exclude God and exclude Jesus Christ, I'm going to be a wise fool. That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to come up with all kinds of weird, deluded ideas. But I love this. This is one of my favorite passages in Colossians. And don't steal it from my memory verse, okay? I know you are looking at it. Look at verse 9. All right, verse 9. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So it's short and it's easy. In who? In Christ. How much does God dwell within Jesus Christ? Is it half and half? He's half man and half God? No. He's fully man and God fully dwells within Him. Colossians 2 and verse 9. Dwells within him bodily. Notice that's in the present tense. That Christ at the right hand of God. He's there bodily and God is in the fullness of him. What, what is Paul saying here? Do not be moved from Christ. Do not be deceived by the empty deceit and the philosophies of the world. Don't be pulled away from him. All the fullness of God, of the greatest knowledge that you can know, it is hidden in Jesus Christ. You've got to know that. You've got to live by it. You've got to believe it with all of your heart. And it makes all the difference. Look at verse 10. And you have been filled in Him. Wait, what? Another way to put this, you've been filled by Him, by, in Him. And we could say, again, this is reference to Christ dwelling within us by the Holy Spirit. You've been filled in Him by the Word of God dwelling within you. You read that later down in Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And so you have been filled in Him by Him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so Paul's making another reference here. All the rulers and all the authorities of the world, Christ is over them. All the fullness of God is in Him. All the wisdom is there. All the knowledge is there. All the understanding is there. All these things are in Christ Jesus. And if you try to live without Him, you're a wise fool. And then he starts to make other application upon this. So there's, there's just a lot there. I was thinking about this tonight, and I was thinking, I'm lacking illustration on this message trying to think of other illustrations, other uh, applications to make. 
And I was looking at it, I was like, is this just too, it's, it's really kind of abstract unless you use it, unless you believe in Christ. And I, and I think some people might hear this and it's just out in one ear and out the other. So to make sure that we're perceiving all things through Christ. The main point is that Christians are to live by Christ as He is again the wisdom of God. All things were created by Christ and through Him. Colossians 1, 15-17 He is the Word by which all things were created. In Him is all wisdom. And it is in Him we learn how to walk and we're supposed to walk in Him. And so I'm going to make some other points. I'm not going to read all these passages, but I'm going to go through some other points here in Colossians that I think bring out what it means to do what Paul's commanding here. All right, so like verse 11, he tells us that you've been circumcised, not with the circumcision of hands, but with a spiritual circumcision. You've cut off the sins of this world. Well, if I'm living, again, by the wisdom of Christ, I'm going to realize the foolishness of sins in the world. Don't you wonder why other people don't see how foolish and stupid certain temptations are and sins are? And then at the same time, we think how foolish and stupid I am to the things that I've given into, the things that I've done things I've done in my past. We should feel that way. We should think giving into sin is foolish. All right? And then we see here in the wisdom of Christ, we want to cut those things off. In the wisdom of Christ, we have the gospel. We have the death, burial, and resurrection. Read verses 12 and 13. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised through Him. It's the powerful working of God that we've been raised from death. It is in that point of which we are made alive together with God and we have the forgiveness of sins. See that in verse 13? Keep going with me. Colossians 2. Look at verse 14. He's canceled all the record and the debt and everything that stood against you and all the legal demands, nailing it to the cross. You're not under the law anymore. You're following in obedience to Christ. And I, I'm going to emphasize this verse, verse 15. So in this, all these rules, all these regulations, it is in this way that Christ has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing them over them. In other words, Christ is all the power. He has all the, he's the fullness of God. He's all the wisdom of God. He's even taking any kind of law of condemnation, even the law of Moses that was God-given, and he's taking it upon himself so that he has died in our place, so that those legal demands and condemnation are no longer on us. And so there's no ruler or authority who can separate us from, from, from God. There's no ruler of authority who has more power than our Creator. There's no ruler or authority who has a greater kingdom than the one that we're a part of, the church. We have all of that. We have those blessings. Christ has disarmed them. He has triumphed over them. Other great things stand out here. And so, to make application to that, you go to verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you on questions of food or drink or regard a festival, new moon or Sabbath. Those old things, they don't matter. Why? Because they were a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus Christ. So this is starting to show us, if we start looking at the world through the lens of Christ, there's no regulation, there's no law, there's no um, baseless mandate that actually brings condemnation against us. Now, again, the Bible tells us to obey the governing authorities. <clears throat> But there's nothing more powerful than Jesus Christ. And that those who might come up with oppressive rule, God is in power. In fact, He will bring justice, and this book teaches us that a little further on. We keep reading here, we see that if we're connected with the head, we're going to be nourished, we're going to be satisfied. But He says, 
There are people who are coming along who are going to teach you to worship angels. They're going to talk about their visions. They've got the sensuous minds. Go down a little bit further. Chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, If with Christ you have died. Notice that again, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If with Christ you've died. Why are you living as still alive to the world? Submitting to regulations. According to human traditions and precepts and teachings. All this appears to be wisdom. This is again... A fool's wisdom. They appear to be wise. The world's telling you you should do this or that. You should follow a little bit of this religion and this religion and mix them in with your Christian faith. I see that a lot today. That's what the whole New Age thing. People just bringing in different things from what is essentially Hinduism here in the United States and they're mixing it with Christianity and saying it's okay. And he says none of this helps with the indulgence of the flesh. This is what you do. Here's another good summary. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you've been raised with Christ. Okay, he just said, if you've died with Christ, this should be true. Now he's saying, if you've been raised with Christ. What is that? That's the death and resurrection of Christ through baptism. All right, verse 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek what Christ seeks. Look at the world the way that Jesus looks at the world. View sin the way that God views sin. And you don't want any part of it. Live in the grace of God and you don't, you've been saved from it. I don't want to go back to it. That's looking to Christ at the right hand of God. He says in verse 2, Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. But now let's examine ourselves. How many things that bother us that we hear about on the news? How many things do we give into as far as what we use for entertainment or what we're viewing? What we're taking in. What, what are we doing with our recreation that just so we just turn off our belief system and our faith in God and Christ to the things that we watch and we listen to? I'm not. I can't do it. And when I see a TV show and they're promoting sin and it's supposed to be comedy and everybody's laughing about whatever sin they're living in, I'm not laughing about it. I'm turning it off. I just can't. It's not funny. You know, when I see these comedies that come out and they're automatically rated R on them, I know that's a movie I would never want to see. All right? Not to mention it's rated R, but it's a comedy in rated R, so it's going to be filled extensively with profanity and crude humor and everything that looking to Christ above would never approve of. We start, we continue making application of Christ. And you keep going through chapter 3. He says you're going to put to death sexual sin. You're going to take, get rid of anger and malice and wrath. Uh, chapter 3, verse 8, you're going to get rid of slander. You're going to stop talking about people behind their back and gossiping. You're going to get rid of obscene talk, shameful speech out of your mouth. You're not going to lie to others. Keep going. I'm going to go on way down. All right, go to chapter 3. Look at verse 17. All right, to me this was striking. Verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Read that again. And whatever you do, in word, whether you say it, in deed, in action, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In other words, everything I need to do needs to be glorifying to Christ. And if I'm thinking with the wisdom of Jesus Christ, I'm going to realize, you know, when, when I'm at work, when I'm at home, when I'm at school, when I'm out with friends, Whatever the context is, I'm going to do things in the name of Christ that give glory to Him, that He gives authority to, that's based on the wisdom of Jesus Christ. 
That's the application of thinking with a mind that's set on Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's an application of setting our minds on, on Christ. Okay? And verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Right, verse 20. Children, obey your parents. I'm going to read that one again. Children, obey your parents. Wake up and listen. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Alright? Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Verse 22. And this is when it starts to even get harder. Bond servants, obey in everything those who, have, who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You know, so these commands, when you read them, it's like, that's hard. You know, submitting to someone else above you, that's hard. Submitting to an employer, submitting to governing authorities. So wives submitting to their husbands, I imagine a lot of situations, that's extremely hard. And he says to do this, and then he makes application of this, that the servants are not to do it just to be seen. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't do things just to be seen. He says, do it because God sees you. Look at verse 23. And whatever you do, work heartily. Do it from the heart. As for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do. And so in the context here, he's talking about work. Okay, Whatever labor you are, if you're working under somebody and someone else is giving you instruction and telling you what to do, you do it from the heart and you do it for the, to the Lord. Because I know it's really hard to work for certain people. And to work under certain individuals. It can be very tough. So you make your work and what you're doing in life committed to the Lord, that you're working to Him, that's living by the wisdom of God. That's setting your mind on Christ above. And he says, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive an inheritance of your reward and you are serving the Lord Christ. That's who you serve. That's who you really work for. And then notice this, verse 25. God is the avenger. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. The vengeance of God is coming. And evidently he's applying this to masters. And maybe to some of these bond servants too, depending on how they behave. But look at verse, uh, chapter, one, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. There's a lot more application here. Um, and... Do you see the practical application of thinking and perceiving the world through Jesus and looking at it and realizing Christ is the wisdom of everything? I want to do that. Now, we've read all this tonight, and we've noted some points here about what it means. What are we going to do with it? You know, I can wake up tomorrow morning, but how am I going to set my mind in a way of which I can do this? Now, the first thing I think of is when I sit down in the morning and I get my cup of coffee, that's where I usually start with coffee. Or uh, whatever it might be, I'll sit down at my spot at the table. And, uh, and the next thing I do is I pick up my phone. And maybe you're not like that, but I got my phone. But on my phone, I want to make sure that, especially on my home screen, what pops in front of me is there's my Bible. There's a scripture for the day. Those are the things. And that's actually on my phone. I move the clock to another page. I don't need to know what time it is. I want to know what Scripture is. I want to start there. I want to start in prayer. I want to start with my mind thinking in a way in which God wants me to think 
He's the one who created me. He's the one who's given me life. And he's given me his son who's died on the cross for me. I need to give him everything. Lastly, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. And so I think in living in the wisdom of God and thinking in this way, not only will we refrain from sin and put to death this wickedness and see the foolishness around us in the world, but we're going to be able to speak to others in a very reasonable way. We want to do that. Tonight, I encourage you to walk in the wisdom of Christ. If you need to make repentance and changes in your life, do that. If you need prayers, we want to pray with you. You need to obey the gospel to be buried with Christ, just as we just as we read in Colossians chapter 2, 12 and 13, to have all your sins washed away. You can do that this evening. We encourage you now. Let's stand and sing together.